for opening God's word for us today. Thank you, Pastor Curtis. Good morning. A fascinating and somewhat uncomfortable study came out of the University in, of Virginia in 2015 showing that given the choice, many preferred going under electrical shock rather than sitting alone in a room by themselves. The study participants were exposed to a mild shock, which they all reported they did not like and would take money to not undergo again. But when left in an empty room with a shocker button for 15 minutes, removed from all distractions, unable to check their phones or listen to any sort of music or noise, two-thirds of men and one-third of women in the study chose to voluntarily shock themselves. <laughs> it, it does beg the question, though, why do we run from silence? Or better yet, why can we not give up the noise? We continue through our series this week considering how we too can continue to give up, wave the white flag, throw in the towel, raise our hands in surrender to the things that stand in our way of following Jesus. And so today, we will consider how we can give up noise. Though it may not be considered by you of something that stands in the way of you following Jesus, I hope after this morning I'm not the only one who notices a steady soundtrack always playing in our world and in my head where the noise never stops. Not only do we live in a fast-paced and ever-changing, unrelenting culture, our society, we are told by psychologists, is more anxious than ever. And it's not of any accident that most of us don't even consider the noise. We're all accustomed to it. And as we have thought about the things that often plague our minds, I find the last three weeks of our sermon series really helpful. Often, at least for me, it's the thoughts of comparison, the fear and the worry that's so captivating, and even the grudges that I hold when relationships rupture. It's no wonder that given the choice over electric shock or silence, some would choose the shock. And I wonder if we were in that study, what we would choose. Maybe it's not 15 minutes, maybe it's a half hour, but I wonder how long we could sit there in the silence. But for many of us, we would never actually be alone. We do have someone to be with us. But let's get there in just a second. In talking with you over the last few weeks, I have grown in my appreciation of noise. And let me explain that really quickly. For some of you, you live alone. And so the noise of the radio, of the news, of the TV, are what keep you company. And for others, it's as if the noise never stops. And so that is actually the most steady and consistent thing we have. We know we can check our phones for, for more information on a topic we're interested in, or we could call a friend and talk it through. We can get in the car and the radio just plays. 
But noise can often drown out our thoughts, our fears, and our worries, and can actually plague us if we're not careful. Because if we're not careful, we can drown out and deafen even the voice of God. A God who speaks life and a God who speaks truth. And so today we are going to look at how Jesus even gave up the noise. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. We're going to jump in to verse 29, and it will be up on the screens for us as well. But before we get to the text really quickly, I want to say a couple things about Mark, the gospel writer. He is most famous for his use of the word immediately. Mark is super anxious to tell his audience about who Jesus is. It's as if you could read through the whole gospel of Mark in an hour and 15 minutes. He is in a hurry to tell us the good news of Jesus. So he jumps from story to story to story. And he uses the word immediately to show how often Jesus is urgent, but Jesus is always interruptible. So as Mark is saying, Jesus is on the move. He is moving quickly. He is telling us the good news. It's countered with stories more often than any other gospel of Jesus withdrawing. And so that's what we're going to look at today. Verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever. And immediately, there's that word, they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they explained, everybody is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, there's the word, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for after your cleaning as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is living and active. 
It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Would you awaken in us the ability to hear from you? Would the word of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight today? For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. So today's passage begins again with Jesus revealing his ability to heal as he heals the mother-in-law of one of Jesus' followers, Simon. While this isn't the first healing, again, we're only in chapter 1, verse 29, but Mark's already ready to tell his people, Jesus can heal you. So this isn't the first story that Mark tells us that Jesus can heal. But what is significant about the story today is her response to Jesus' healing. Simon's mother-in-law chooses to wait or to serve Jesus and his followers. And this is really countered with the next story when the man doesn't listen to Jesus' instructions. And so what is unique about this story is it shows not only her physical wholeness, but her spiritual responsiveness to Jesus. Not only is it good enough that she was healed, but now her whole life has been transformed. That's what we see in her So news about Jesus spreads ever rapidly, and Mark hastily continues to recount the story of Jesus, where we then venture into the next story, where the whole town is pounding on the doors of Jesus and his followers, because people want to bring the ill, the sick, to Jesus. But then the story comes to a screeching halt. Jesus is not found. And what Mark tells us is he is in a solitary place. In the original language, the word Mark uses here, describing that solitary place, is the same word he uses to describe the desert Jesus just fasted in for 40 days and 40 nights. And it's the same word he'll use again when he describes that Jesus is going to stay in lonely places. But that lonely place is exactly where Jesus encounters God the Father in prayer. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, as Jesus continues to get busier and busier, it's countered with him telling us stories of how often Jesus would withdraw. And it's of no accident that Mark describes this solitary place as a place that is lonely, a place that's a desert, but it's the place that Jesus meets with God. And so as Jesus is withdrawn and in that solitary place, Simon and the other followers go to look for Jesus. And the way that the actual Greek is translated is they went to hunt him down. Can you imagine the pressure these guys were feeling? They had left everything to follow Jesus Jesus was performing all sorts of miracles and healing all sorts of people, and they wake up and they can't find him. I mean, I would hunt the guy down too. I don't want to be responsible. So they go and they try to find him. And it doesn't matter what Jesus is doing. They interrupt him and say, where have you been? Everybody is looking for you. 
And while we're not told much of what Jesus' time in withdrawal or time in that solitary place is like, we actually only get one example of that in John 17. But what we do get is the result of Jesus' time away. And that is that that time gave him clarity on what he was to do next. He simply responds by saying, we need to continue preaching the good news in a new town. And so what the text reveals to us today is how often the noise of this world can distract and distance us from the purpose God has for each one of us. But as we learn from Jesus, time away from the noise and time with God is exactly what we need in order to get that purpose and perspective. In Jesus' time in solitude and silence, there was still distractions and difficulty. For goodness sake, his own followers are the ones who interrupted him most often. And yet, Jesus reveals to us that it's still worthwhile to give up, to wave the white flag to the noise. The world around us is going to keep telling us the opposite. We are being told that the busier we are, the more productive we can be, the more we are living into this life that will somehow fulfill us. The world's telling us that the noise will never stop, and the steady beat of our own thoughts and captivity to them can never be silenced. Maybe you've been told, or if you're like me, you've read a book, that if you just wake up an hour earlier, go to sleep an hour later, manipulate your schedule just a little bit better, then you'd feel like you've done enough each day. But I don't think that's what Jesus' invitation to us is. What if it's not to add one more thing, but to shift? As I was preparing for this sermon, something that has always struck me is I have quite a few friends that work in the tech industry up in the Silicon Valley, and a couple of them are Google employees. Did you know that a Google employee is required to work within the 20% rule? Meaning that they have to divide their time working so that at least 20% of it is working on projects that show no immediate dividend. Every Google employee. Can you imagine working for a company like that? Where 20% of your day or 20% of your week, so maybe eight hours a week, was spent doing something that sparked your creativity, was spent reading a resource that you may or may not be helpful, you practiced a new skill, or you experimented with a new system. It sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> but many of us don't work for companies like that. But I think Google is actually on the right track. And I think what they're pointing out and realizing is that that's actually how God created us. And it's actually really cool when the world can catch up to the way that God designed each one of us. We were designed, we were intended to have a balance between work and refreshment, between engagement and release, of noise and withdrawal. The life that Jesus offers us in the Bible is one that is abundant, 
where we live out of this overflow of who God is and who he has made us to be, rather than when we're just drained and barely functioning. And we all live somewhere on that continuum, where the world tells us that if we just work hard enough, just make more money, or just try to organize things better, we will feel fulfilled. And then we have the other side, the gospel of truth, where we can accept our limitations, surrender ourselves to a loving and gracious God who sees and knows us and loves us, enough to give himself for us. And we all live and feel that tension. No matter where we are on that continuum, some days we may feel further along in one way or the other. But in order to get any closer to the invitation that I think God has for us, we have to first recognize the noise. We have to be willing to give it up so that we can hear the voice of truth, the voice that offers new life. And the only way we can do that is through Jesus, is to surrender to Jesus. We have to ask God to help us silence our world and silence ourselves. And we could wrap up the sermon here and you guys could all leave and say, yep, got it. I got to do that sometime. (laughs) (laughs) I know that's actually what I would prefer. But I think we'd be cutting a little short of what God's invitation is for us today. Ruth Haley Barton says it really well when she says this. I believe silence is the most challenging, most needed, and least experienced spiritual discipline. It is much easier to talk about it and read about it than it is to actually become quiet. We are starved for mystery, to know this God as one who is totally other and to experience reverence in his presence. We are starved for quiet. (laughs) We are starved for rest, to know God beyond what we can do for him. Sorry. We are starved for quiet, to hear the sound of sheer silence that is the presence of God himself. It is one thing to hear a sermon on silence, to hear a sermon preached, to give up the noise and to notice that Jesus did it too, so we ought to but I'm convinced that that wouldn't be enough. And there's no better place to practice it than in the presence of God and the presence of your community of faith. Being real and honest before God can be uncomfortable, can be scary, can even feel a little dangerous. And so I wanna just lead us through a time of that silence. Whether you're here on this, in this room or you're watching online or it's later in the week and you're just catching up, we want you to know that you're not alone as we practice. Because first and foremost, God is with us. His spirit is with us right now. And then we are here with one another as well. I have found that sometimes having a guide or a tool is really helpful to lead into that time of silence. And the Spirit can use even our tools 
to reveal to us how he is working in our minds and in our hearts. Because it doesn't take long for our minds and bodies to get noisy once again. And so I'm going to prompt us with three questions in our time of silence today. And this is a practice that I've been doing for probably a month now every morning, and it has been the best tool I have found to lead me in this time of silence. These are the three questions. One, what are you grateful for? What are the things right now that you can just think of that you're grateful for? Next, I'll ask you, what are you grieving? For me, in the past month, it's been time. I'm grieving the fact that I'm going on maternity leave soon and I'm gonna miss you. That I only have so many hours in a day to get my work done and then I have to take a step aside so I can be present with a new baby in just a couple weeks, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see if she comes right now, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so what are you grieving? It could be a person, it could be a thing, it could be time. It doesn't have to be our typical definition of what we're grieving, but just what are we grieving right now? And then third, how will you be generous today? Recognizing that I have things to be grateful for, recognizing that I have things that I'm grieving. My response now, as a follower of Christ, is I can recognize both of those things, and now I'm called to be generous open-handed with how God's going to use us today. And so I want to invite you, if grabbing a pen and a piece of paper is helpful, to have freedom to do that. To slow your mind down enough to write something down is really helpful for me. So if that's helpful for you, do it. And if this practice today is not helpful for you, totally okay. You're not offending me at all. That's the point of practice. We get to learn. We get to experience freedom in Christ and try this out over and over and over again to recognize it is so hard to give up the noise. But I'm going to do it because I trust that the voice of God speaks in sheer silence. So we're going to practice together today. So would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, would you lead us in this time? Would you help us bring to mind right now the things that we are grateful for? God, would you bring to mind people? Would you bring to mind places? Would you bring to mind our purpose?
God, would you awaken in us the capacity to notice what we are grieving today? Would you help us be present as we admit them to you? And lastly, God, would you reveal to us the way that we can be generous today? Whether to ourselves or to others, prompt us to be present to your leading in how we can be generous today. Would this tool, would this prompt not just be a tool or a prompt, but a way that we can see your working in our lives? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So that's a real simple Five minutes in silence, in prayer, in attempting to silence the noise, to give up the noise and be present with God, to hear the sound of his voice. I had a spiritual formation professor once tell me, if that exercise was terrible for you, praise God. If that exercise was awesome and you can't wait to do it again, praise God. Because we all have a reason to praise God. It doesn't matter if it's tough. It doesn't matter that it's uncomfortable or the preferred way or the way that we think would be awesome for another person we know. Praise God that he wants to meet with us that we can try again and we can trust that if we can give up the noise, he will meet us right where we're at. And so would you know that just like Jesus had to choose to withdraw, had to choose to give up the noise, who he met was God. And so would you too feel courage, feel empowered that as you give up the noise, God too will meet you. Amen.